The 34th autumn of life on Aben Street, street of brick, of tall trees, of century-old homes, is rapidly approaching. The leaves have not yet begun to turn on the towering oaks, but summer's heat has begun to dissipate. The hummingbirds' flight a bit more frenetic as they dart about, gathering sweet nectar for their long journey south. We were young when we bought this house that I fell in love with. Annette's mother, wise woman that she was, voiced her concern with the quiet comment, That's a lot of house to take care of. We heard her, but failed to listen. After all, it's only five blocks to the courthouse and eight blocks to our law office, we countered in our disciplined, legally trained minds. And it's only eight blocks the other way to Dolores, that's Annette's mom, house, we thought. An important consideration, as Annette's belly swelled with the rapidly approaching arrival of Alex, Dolores's first and only grandchild. We bought the house in the spring. The daffodils just passed. The tulips in full-throated announcement of warm weather. We waited impatiently for the completion of the downsizing, vacating, empty-nest family to move into the condo being constructed to replace the sweeping Italian Palazzo Veranda fronted home, the local newspaper labeled stately. Local history lives on that street. Next door, a home built in 1867 by a Civil War regimental commander, the same regiment I later served in with the Illinois Army National Guard. Three doors down, a former United States attorney quietly lived. At the end of the block stands a plaque honoring the man who nominated Lincoln for president in 1860. He built a home before the Civil War and lived there until his death. Lincoln purportedly visited the home two doors up the street. Our architect-designed home was built as a wedding gift for the scion of a well-to-do Belleville family. They owned the first auto dealership in Belleville. When the house was built in 1914, on the cusp of World War I, the war fought to end all wars, it did not have a garage or coach house. One wasn't needed, as the family auto dealership sat two blocks away, occupying the corner of East Main and Mascuda Avenue. An employee would drive down to chauffeur Mr. Wanglin to his office, or Mrs. Wanglin shopping. The Iceman trotted from Oven Street on the four-inch-thick concrete sidewalk to the rear porch, where he would bolt up the four steps to the ice door, passing the ice through into the cavernous built-in icebox. Delivery speed of the essence in the sweltering St. Louis summer. The three-foot-by-two-foot porch ice cabinet door, a necessity in upper-class homes, so neither the tradesman's steps nor the melting ice marked the English oak floors, nor the Persian carpets. Although she had been dead nearly 20 years, when we moved into what was then known as the Wanglin home, legends of her still lived on Abbott Street. New pillowcases were too stiff for her head, so she would ask the neighbor, two doors down, if she would use them for a few weeks to break them in, so the new threads didn't disturb Mrs. Wanglin's sleep. The neighbor invariably complied, as Mrs. Wanglin was, if not the Duchess of Alvin Street, at least of the landed gentry. The war to end all wars came and went. The German-language newspapers, so common in the town built on waves of German immigration, changed to English. German was no longer spoken in the public schools. 
nor in the churches. Two sons were born to the aristocracy of Aubin Street. The Depression arrives. The family position maintained. The next great war begins. The fortunes of Aubin Street wax and wane. The home across the street, built by a coal mine baron, thus Aubin Street, one of the very few in Belleville, not undermined by the coal companies, becomes a boarding house. The rooms occupied by war plant workers and young soldiers' wives from Scott Air Force Base. Although the family fortune is intact, the family's life is ripped asunder when one of the two sons, an Army Air Corps bomber pilot, is shot down and killed in action over Europe. The neighbors said Mrs. Wangland never recovered. Her heart was further broken when her remaining son moved cross-country. Each day, the neighbors watched as she carried a letter to her surviving son to the postal box at the end of the block. Each day, she sat in the rocking chair ensconced before the double windows at the top of the balustraded oak staircase, overlooking the lawn sloping to the street, awaiting the postman's delivery of a return letter. The neighbors said she was a woman of steely resolve. The neighbors said she'd watched her mother die a slow death from an unnamed illness. She resolved not to linger, not to suffer. Mrs. Wangland had her hair done, as she did weekly on the Libin Maid's day off. Upon returning home, she walked upstairs, through the door leading to the maid's quarters at the back of the home, gently laid down on the single bed, so as not to wrinkle her crisply pressed dress, and carefully pulled a plastic bag over her freshly coiffed hair, and tied it around her throat. Her steely resolve to not die a lingering painful death, fulfilled. Mr. Wanglin lived another six years in the house built as a wedding present for he and his young bride. His nephew, a promising young stockbroker, purchased the home from the estate in 1974, keeping it in the family. Nixon pardoned, Saigon Falls, the oak floors covered with shag carpeting, a Georgia peanut farmer elected president, a carport built behind the stately home. The brick streets weather under the summer sun and winter ice. The Americans boycott the Moscow Olympics as the Soviet Union invades Afghanistan. The Soviets, like the Brits, tired of losing young men, abandon Afghanistan. The young stockbroker and his wife, now middle-aged empty nesters, elect to downsize to a condo and sell to two young lawyers expecting a child. The Berlin Wall falls. The Soviet Union collapses. Cocaine wars rage. AIDS rages. The stately home with the bronze plaque from the Illinois State Historical Commission celebrating its former owner's ties to Lincoln is purchased by speculators who convert it to Section 8 rent-subsidized apartments, which are promptly occupied by drug-using, drug-dealing denizens. September 11th happens. Now it's the United States' turn. Afghanistan invaded. Americans die in forgettable places with unpronounceable names. First black president elected. First reality TV show star elected president. The house with the bronze plaque becomes a museum. The druggies gone. Young families buying the stately old homes, restoring them to glory. The two young lawyers, now the link to the memories of the past, carefully pick their way down the uneven brick sidewalks each evening. Their walk choreographed by the yellow Labrador service dog and the occasional brick thrust up by a swelling tree root. 
She holds his arm to steady herself from the danger of a stumble. Each evening they take that walk from block's end to block's end, now guiding each other as they once guided a child on a tricycle. The brick street weathers on. <laughs>